Hi everyone and welcome to episode 99 of SAMA, an interview series which invites experts each week to discuss their area of expertise. This week we are delighted to have Stephen Horn with us to talk about herbal medicine and emotional healing. For over 30 years, Stephen has been teaching people how to identify and remove the root causes of their health problems rather than just treating symptoms. He is a registered herbalist and was once the president of the American Herbalists Guild. Stephen's passion for herbal medicine and natural healing has led him to teach classes all over the United States, Canada, and other countries. He is very passionate about empowering people with knowledge to create health and wholeness in every aspect of their lives, physically, emotionally, mentally, uh, spiritually, and socially. And now he joins us in Sama to spread the news further. Welcome to our show, Stephen. It's fantastic to have you with us. I'm, so, I'm really happy to be with you. We've had a great conversation before the show, so this will be fun. Yes, yes. I we actually started this summer about a quarter of an hour ago before we realized that oh, we actually had time. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, we, we will be covering some things we did discuss uh, off air, if you like. Um, and one of the things I asked you, because I just really wanted to know before, was what prompted you to get, um, to get involved and become interested in herbs and healing? Well, I, I actually was quite sickly. I had chronic sinus problems as a mouth breather for most of the early part of my year. And I, at 14, my doctor diagnosed me with chronic sinusitis, put me on penicillin for every day. I took penicillin every day for two years. At the end of two years, my sinus problems were worse. Um, and uh, around that same time, I was in scouting and became interested in edible and medicinal wild plants and uh, outdoor survival and started studying medicinal plants, but it never occurred to me that they actually might be the answers to my problems until I was about 20, when this idea kind of came into my head that maybe the natural plants were, pro- were better than the chemical medicine. And so I started uh, e- uh, experimenting with eating healthier, uh, dabbling when using some of these herbs that I had read, I, I identified in the wilds, and I started also getting a chiropractic adjustments, and I started to get well. So. I started to, to delve into this, but I found the whole thing to sometimes be kind of confusing. Like in Jethro Class's Back to Eden, uh, he talks about white oak bark being used for bleeding gums and varicose veins and hemorrhoids. And I thought, how can one herb be used for so many different conditions? Sure. And I, I didn't really understand that until uh, I started working with a master herbalist named Edward Milo Millet in 1980. And then I started to really understand uh, how herbs worked and the paradigm of healing. And that's when I started to get consistent results and a few years later started teaching people about this. So that's kind of the background. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit, no, <laughs> I don't apologize, it's riveting, but it's one of the detail, you got, you, you got a job that was also associated with healing, wasn't it? Yeah, in 1984, after I'd been playing with the ideas that I, that I came up with in 1980, um, I uh, got a job working for Nature Sunshine Products in, uh, here in Utah, and I was the editor of their corporate magazine. That's, that's what I got hired to do. And after a couple of years, they started to f- uh, figure out that I actually knew a lot. And when I talked to the, their salespeople, that their salespeople really liked to listen to me. So they basically started uh, letting me go out and teach seminars for people. And in 1986, they started a school where people would come in from all over the country and uh, would hear me teach for for four days. I, I there were some other presenters, but I, for 
for three days of that, it was me. <laughs> so, um, and I've been teaching ever since and writing about natural healing, uh, written you know, books and lots of courses and so forth. As a child, did you grow up in the countryside? Was it a lot? No, of I grew up in the city. <laughs> I grew, grew up in downtown, one mile from downtown Salt Lake, uh, the center of downtown Salt Lake City. But I fell in love with the outdoors. I fell in love with nature. So, so what's the big deal with herbs? Why, why do herbs have such a tremendous um, ability to heal? Well, I'll I'll tell you what my first herb teacher Edward Miller Millet taught me that I still believe is true. And I think because I know you're interested in energy medicine, I think you'll gravitate to this. He said, "Light is life." Yes. That all light is a function, all life is a function of light, and that light is actually literally life. And that the plants capture the light energy from the sun, and they use the light energy of the sun to actually increase the vibratory rate of the elements and pull them into a dance so that they start moving in energy patterns that are created by the DNA and, and become living things. And then when we consume the plants or the animals who have consumed the plants, we are not only getting the chemicals that the plants have created, we're getting the life force that is present in the plants. And so when you, we talk about the idea of denaturing something, yes. when, when we chemically process that, when we extract a particular chemical out of a plant, just like extracting sugar out of sugar cane or sugar beets, we denature or devitalize that substance. Yes. And we, we, we have a chemical, but we've removed the life force, the energy that is present that is really the source of life and health. Yes. So I became interested in, I, when I started to understand that, I became interested in herbs as medicine because they are living things with living vibratory frequencies that affect us on a level that is much different than just chemical medicine. So I guess it's important not to boil the herbs. I guess it's, it's more. Well, well it, it's, uh, you know, minimally processing them. I mean, you, some herbs you do boil or similar okay. to okay. extract compounds, but they're still highly complex, just like the food we eat is highly complex. Yes. The more, more you break it down and isolate it, the less alive it is, if you will. And so, um, you know, every plant that you eat, like every food you eat, contains thousands of chemical compounds. Yes. You know, literally thousands of them. And yet pharmaceutical medicine relies on single chemical compounds, which are, you know, where the body, where an herb prints the body with a smorgasbord of chemical compounds that, and in frequencies that, um, you know, tune the body in very subtle ways. Uh, a drug comes in, it's like trying to adjust a computer with a hammer. Um, it, it's not as sophisticated <laughs> in terms of what it does. Yeah, there's the... There's a lot that we still don't understand, I believe, like there's micronutrients and possibly micro, micro, <laughs> nanonutrients. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, years ago, I read this uh, old Zen saying in a book of poetry my dad had. My dad loved poetry and I love poetry too. And it goes, when a man is young and knows nothing, trees are trees, mountains are mountains, and waters are waters. But when he has studied and learned a little, trees are no longer trees, mountains are no longer mountains, and waters are no longer waters. But when he has thoroughly studied and finally understands, trees are once again trees, mountains are mountains, and waters are waters. 
And I like that because, you know, we, we are, I, I say we've studied a little. And so we think nutrition is vitamins and minerals and micronutrients and whatever. But I think when we finally come down to it, we'll find out that the apple is the apple. <laughs> you know, that the whole thing is greater than the sum of the parts. Yes. And that's true of herbs and that's true of foods. Um, there, there's things about that that we still don't completely understand. And we think when we finally completely understand it, we'll understand that the creator put it together perfect in the beginning. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, we, we, we talked a little bit earlier on about stinging nettles and how you experienced them and you boiled it up and then you ate it. And, and, it, it yeah. was, and usually you could eat something which, was, which had some sort of poison for your skin at least. Now, a stinging nettle is quite a, a nasty thing to experience if you, if you brush up against it. But when you boil it, it becomes something which is quite pleasant, a soup. Well, when it, when you, when it dries or, or, or when you cook it, the, the stinging part, which is actually a, a little needle-like structure on the thing that when, it, when you hit it, it injects you with histamine and formic acid. Which formic acid is what's in an ant bite, and histamine, we know, causes allergic reaction. So, mm. <laughs> that, but those, those are neutralized when you do it. Now, what's interesting is containing those substances, nettle actually counteracts out allergic reactions which is really fascinating if you take it as, as an herb. Okay. Cancel, cancel. <laughs> you know, so, so it's something like almost homeopathic-like yes. as a plant. Yes. And it's interesting also that ragweed, it, which is, you know, one of the biggest pollen allergies that a lot of people have in North America, actually taken as an herb counters allergies. It's very interesting, you know? That's what makes plant medicine so fascinating to me, you know? It also really highlights why people should not look at things too close, but also step back <laughs> and, um, and, and see a larger picture. Because if, if, if you, for example, if you got stung with a stinging nettle, you'd think, well, you'd never imagine in your wildest dreams you could, you could eat it. And yet you can boil it. And, and um, I'm guessing that its um, nutritional value is quite high the uh, chemicals that it would contain. Oh, it, it is. Uh, nettles are one of the most nutritious plants on the planet, which may be why they sting themselves to keep everybody from eating them. Uh, <laughs> sting people to keep everybody from eating them because, because they're loaded with iron, calcium, magnesium, uh, vitamins. Uh, they are one of the best blood builders I know. I, I've, I had a lady who was severely anemic and was a vegan. So she wasn't going to like eat any red meat or anything. Sure. And I told her, just get up pound of nettles and just throw it into soups, throw it into stews, throw it into her smoothies in the blender. And, and she did that in, in one month, all of her hematocrat iron, everything else came totally back to normal from being, you know, almost bottomed out. Wow. And uh, um, I've never seen an iron supplement do that. And yet there's a fraction of the amount of iron in nettles um, that there is in an iron supplement. So yes. the body somehow is able to utilize what's in the plant in a yes. way that it's not able to utilize the yes. ferrous fumarate in an iron towel, iron supplement. And um, Okamla has mentioned shikamas from Australia. And uh, in Australia, they use sting nettle to correct arthritis and kidney issues. So it doesn't just stop there. But if you put it right. in the room, surely the nettles will still be intact, the, the pins? If you what? 
Oh, if you put it into a blender, is it raw when you put it into a blender? No, it was well, the dried herb. And once you dry the herb, it has no sting. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so the, the whole thing goes away when you dry the plant. Uh, but what you're talking about is, is one of the old uh, European cures for arthritis is to flog arthritic joints with nettles. Basically, you take the raw nettles and hit the joint until it, it, it gets it all like red and irritated, and then it'll, the body will get that uh, reaction to uh, thing, and it'll, it'll stop the pain and promote healing in the joint. That's really weird therapy. I've never done it, but I've read about it. <laughs> no, you'd have, to, you'd have to have a certain level of bravery, because if you've ever experienced things, you wouldn't want to experience it twice. Well, about- I'll tell you something really interesting. I actually told my children that if you uh, approached a stinging nettle plant with love, that um, it would not sting you. And I watched two of my children pet a stinging nettle plant for five minutes and it never stung them. Here we're talking about <laughs> somebody, knows, somebody knows nothing, doesn't, sees a mountain, sees a tree, and then, yeah. Um, gosh, that's quite, quite amazing. That was, that, that was really, really uh, amazing to me, but they were just gently caressing the plant and telling them it loved, uh, they loved it and blah, blah, I never got stung. So it's got a form of intelligence then, doesn't it? Yeah. Plants, life is much more, life is partly consciousness, right? And that's, that's what I think modern medicine is missing. And it's part of the reason why I'm, you know, into emotional healing and everything is because it, we're not just uh, machines, you know, there, there's, there's consciousness involved in healing. That's why we have placebo effect. That's why we have nocebo effect, you know, <laughs> that, that, that part of healing is belief, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, do you, do you ever come across some fact that you think, gosh, everyone really should know this? You know, some... Oh, listen, I, I, I will tell you that the basic things I teach, I wish everybody could know. Yes. And, I'll, and I'll tell you one right now, okay? okay? Symptoms are not disease. Symptoms are either the messages from the body that something's out of balance and needs something. Like when you get hungry, right? Yes. It, it's a symptom yes. that tells you you need food. When you're thirsty, it's a symptom that tells you need water. Yes. Okay, so symptoms are either messages for your body trying to tell you that you need to rest, you need to do something, you need to sleep, you need to whatever, or they are actually the healing mechanisms of the body at work. And what I actually figured out that totally changed my, my paradigm was when I realized that runny noses, coughing, sneezing, fevers, sore throats, rashes, everything were actually responses to the immune system trying to fight off disease. And that suppressing those symptoms actually was fighting the body's immune system, trying to kick the disease out of the system. And I basically changed my whole way of thinking, actually helping the body to throw off the irritants that were, were, were uh, bothering it. And I went from getting sick and taking weeks to overcome a cold to getting over colds and flu usually in 24 hours. Wow. And, and so I, I often would get my kids, they'd start to get a cold and three or four hours later, they'd be well. So what would you do if someone's got a fever, for example, if they're running a fever? Would you? Well, most of the time when children are running a fever, their bowel is obstructed. Okay. You, you, once, once you get the, the colon cleared, um, fever will go down. 
Uh, I, I've given uh, kids an enema and seen as soon as their bowel cleared out, 15 minutes later, the fever was down and they were normal. I, I also, one, one night I had a, a stepson who woke me up in the middle of the night and go, oh, I'm hurt and he's feverish and he, his stomach hurt and everything. And he, he, was, he would never let me do give him an enema. So I had a, a liquid formula that I'd made for children as a laxative and I had lobelia, which is an emetic that can induce vomiting as a strong relaxant. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to get this out of him one way or the other. And I would, and also was having trouble getting him to drink water. So I'd give him a little bit, a dropper full of each of those things and get him to drink some water. And I did this for about um, five or 10 minutes. And finally he said, oh, my stomach hurts. I, I, uh, and he wanted to throw up, but he, didn't, he was afraid to. I said, just let yourself throw up. So he threw up. And he immediately felt better. Mm-hmm. And then he, uh, uh, a couple of minutes later, he started to go, oh, my stomach hurts. But this time, instead of putting his hand on his upper abdomen, he was putting his hand on his lower abdomen. Right. Right? Okay. So I said, okay. Gave him a little bit more of the, the stuff over, and, and had him drink more water. And um, he, uh, uh, and just as I was running out of the herbal remedies, um, he suddenly said, I got to go. And he got up on the bathroom, just filled the toilet. Okay. Cause he was co- so constipated and he, and then he, he was, the fever came down. He did all, all his pain was gone. He went to sleep and woke up the next morning and wondered why I didn't want him to eat sugar sweetened breakfast cereal with his, with his uh, grandfather. Uh, you know, but um, you know, it, it, that, I've seen that happen many, many times that if you let the body throw up or, you know, Put out or sweat it out or whatever, the it throws off what's irritating the body and the body gets well. You know, and that was one of the the most amazing paradigm shifts I've ever had. So what I started to do is I created a model called the disease tree, based on the work of an, a pioneer herbalist Samuel Thompson who said, "Let names of all disorders be like to the limbs joined to the tree. Work on the root, and that subdue, and all the limbs will bow to you." And um, and I came up with the idea of a, of a tree where you've got all the diseases or the branches and leaves up top. And the, the roots are mental and emotional stress, nutritional deficiency, toxicity, and injury. All right? So yeah. those, those four things uh, throw the body out of balance. If left undealt with, they eventually grow into various forms of illness and disease. So I always tell people, don't treat symptoms. When, when you're asking me, how do you treat a particular XYZ disease? You're asking me, how do you treat the symptoms? Your body is out of balance. I want to know what you're eating. I want to know what stresses you're under. I want to know what toxins you're being exposed to. I don't want to know what injuries you've had in the past. <laughs> I want to know what's going on so I can figure out how to get down to the root and, and fix those root problems. Because I know if I fix those root problems, your body will heal itself and you'll be fine. And that was the paradigm shift. And that's what I keep wishing I could shake people, go out in the whole world and say, stop treating symptoms. Don't worry about, uh, you know, um, I have blood pressure. How do I bring it down? Mm. Question is, why do you have high blood pressure? Yes. Are you deficient in magnesium? Are you under too much stress? You know, are, are, you know what's going on in your body and your lifestyle that's creating the high blood pressure? Yes. If we remove the cause, the effect will cease. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. 
Because and that's the whole thing I wish I could get. I, I wish I could teach that to stadiums full of people. <laughs> right? Well, the L L videos have a fair reach, so you'll be teaching more than <laughs> one, or, one or two right now. Yeah. So what you're saying is you, can, you don't put out a fire by throwing water on the flames or dumping water on the cathedral. You, you put it out by putting water directly on the, on the embers. Yeah. Right. But what if you've got something like a headache? A headache will prevent you from possibly sleeping and getting the rest that your body's requiring. So are there any remedies you'd steal? What, what would your line of attack be for a headache? A simple headache. Well, okay. So one of the, one of the things that you, you face with, with headache is, is to look at it and try to assess what type of headache it is and what, what's happening. So I can give you a whole bunch of things that are typical root causes of headaches. Okay. One is dehydration, yes. right? A lot of people have headaches just because they don't drink enough water. Yeah. Two, I can tell you another reason for people get headaches. You know, they take these little devices right, right here, like cell phones. This is, this is one that doesn't work, but they're like this all day, right? <laughs> and so what they've got is their whole, all these muscles at the back of their neck are trying to hold their head up against the weight of gravity, and all those muscles tense up, and they get all this tension back here, and then that causes a interference with the blood and nerve flow going up into their brain, right? right and right. so you relax these muscles and stretch, get them to stretch back, and the headache goes away. I've done that many, many times. Right, and now, you wear, just, the, now you wear the counterweights to hold your head back a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and so, so you, you, you look at the situation to figure out where the cause is coming from, from the headache. Sure. A lot of people get headaches because they're magnesium deficient. About 70% of the population doesn't get enough magnesium in, a, in North America. Yes. And magnesium is necessary for muscles to relax. Yes. Um, I know a lot of times if I push myself too hard and I don't get enough sleep, I'll start to get a headache. Right, right. Okay, because your body's saying to rest. Um, also, you can get headaches from indigestion and from liver problems. A lot of migraines come from liver problems. I'll tell you another one, emotionally, okay? But a lot of times when we feel really, really burdened, right? We're, we're like, right? Yes. It's the same thing as, as looking at the cell phone. You're slumping forward, blah, blah, blah. This whole area is tense and everything. And a lot of that comes from suppressing anger, from not being able to stand up and fight for yourself. So you're carrying all these burdens and all this weight of, of emotions on your shoulders mm -hmm. and, and so forth. Because, okay, I just want you to, I'm, I'm going to just give you just a sample of what I do with emotional healing and what I try to teach people about emotional healing. Sure. Okay, so imagine that you're angry about something. Yeah. Okay, first of all, if you just suck in your breath and you feel that anger and you'll feel your, yourself cocking your muscles right back here, right? Because what you want to do is you want to, push away what's bothering you, yeah. right? You want to go away, right? Mm. <clears throat> but instead you go, gotta be nice, okay? I can't say no. <laughs> okay, now what's happening in your shoulders right here? Yeah, oh, I guess it's tensing up. It's, ten it's staying chronically tense, mm. right? Mm. So I get people to throw temper tantrums. Jump up and down like little kids. <laughs> okay? Let go of the tension here. Okay? Teach them how to say no, how to stand up for themselves. Not, not meanly, but just firmly, you know? No. I, I don't want to do that. You could, possibly <laughs> go, you could probably go a step further back from that, Stephen. Now, um, I've, 
there are people that um, don't accept what other people do. That uh, they they block what is causing the the anger in the first place. They don't accept that the person, you know, like, I, for example, I can have someone come stand in front of me and, and insult me. I'm not the sort of person to get angry. And it's not that I'm suppressing it, Stephen, it's because I don't accept and it's not part of my emotional vocabulary. So at that instance, right. and so that might, that, that may be the root, you know, that may be one, one other way. Of well, approach. actually the reason why people um, get upset by someone telling them words, which actually can't hurt them. I know. Okay. And, and, and often can't stand up to things that actually are hurting them. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is because at their core, they don't feel good about themselves. See, if I feel good about myself and you're sitting there insulting me, what I'm thinking is what's bothering you. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's, a, that's 100%. Because there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with me. What's bothering you? I don't understand. More right? to the point, what's the matter with you? <laughs> well, yeah, or what's the matter with you? What's, yeah. what's eating you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you interpreting me this way or looking at me this way? Sure. You see? I and, and so when you live in a way that allows you to look in the mirror and you like yourself, mm. Mm. because you're a person who acts with integrity and lives with integrity, and and are, are true to your own inner core values right mm -hmm. that then you you're going to like yourself but when you act contrary to what inside you know you should be doing you don't like yourself and then what happens is you then project onto other people your dislike of yourself so if you're a liar, you'll perceive everybody else as liars and you'll always be telling them they're, they're, they're lying. If you're a thief, you're always accusing other people of trying to cheat you or steal from you because you project who and what is inside of you that you need to work on onto all the people around you. The most suspicious people I know are people that have got every reason to be suspicious of. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I, I had to learn that, you know, uh, that a lot of what people do is, is they project. You know, they, they, what is eating them inside because they don't want to deal with it. They project it onto the people around them and accuse everybody around them of being the way they are. I mean, just think of, just think of, of the thing of telling someone because they didn't do something that you wanted them to do for you, that they're selfish. Just, just really think about that for a second. You want them to do something for you and because they won't, they are selfish. Yeah, that is the mirror. That's that's projection, <laughs> right? That's projection. I'm the one who's being selfish, right? <laughs> so, you know, and and I do find that that whole inner emotional tension is a large part of why people get sick. Yes, they're 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 not, you know. Uh, they haven't learned to deal with what's inside of them. And right. I've spent a lot of time learning how to help people through that process. Right. And it's a process of guiding them internally to rediscover, you know, their own, their own inner ability to discern, you know, between right and wrong, <laughs> between what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. And, and I, I liken it to the same thing that I said earlier about um, your body tells you what it needs. 
Mm. It tells you, gosh, I'm tired. I need to go to sleep. Oh, I'm hungry. I need to eat food. Oh, I'm thirsty. I need to drink water, right? right? Oh, I've got pain. I've injured myself. I need to let this part of my body that's injured rest so it can repair, right? Mm. The, the body is giving us feedback. Well, our emotions are giving us feedback about ourselves. You know, if I am behaving in a way that, that is integrous and, and doing the right thing, I will be happy. I will feel good regardless of what other people around me are, are doing, right? Right. But, but if I'm not, then I'm, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to have all these, quote, unquote, negative emotions that I think are telling me about everything out there when really they're telling me about me. If I'm hungry, it's not anybody else's problem. If I'm thirsty, it's not anybody else's problem, right? Right. right. It's, it's that I have to do something to take care of my body and to take care of my needs. And the same thing's true of our emotion, my emotions. It's telling me about something I need to do to take care of my spirit or my soul or whatever you want to call it, you know, the, the, my, the inner me. We are... Uh... Now, 35 years down the track after get it going first and first in the herbs, with the information that you gather each day now is significantly more than when you first started because you've got all the, multi, the, uh, the social media sites on the internet or the internet. Um, back then, we would have just had uh, radio and TV. So now um, people are just swamped with this information and the message that we put out will be watered down by this background noise. Right. And to suggest that people um, focus on the emotional needs and come to understand that they're, what they're seeing is a portrayal of themselves on the inside. How can you get people to really get it? <laughs> I, that's, that's what I've been really wondering. I mean, I put a whole course on emotional healing online at YouTube for free. Yes. Because I'm so passionate about wanting to get the, the information I've learned about working with people on that level out that I, I put out there. How do I get people to watch that? How do I get people to pay attention to it? Because, because I, I am a pragmatist, okay? What I'm searching for is stuff that works and works consistently that I can actually see changes in people's lives. That's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in someone's theory. I'm not interested in the results of the latest double-blind study on a pharmaceutical drug with a, by a company that has a vested economic interest in proving that their drug works so they can make millions of dollars on it. I'm interested in wisdom that's tried and true, and when you put it into practice, it works consistently for person after person after person. That's what I've been searching for in all my career. And I found certain principles that I, I find consistently work. And how to get people to, to understand that is a problem because I, I can get up and teach a lecture about working on the root causes of disease, taking care of your health. Here's what you need to take care of your health. And I can tell you at the end of that lecture, someone's going to come up to me and say, what do I do about my arthritis? <laughs> what, do I do? what do I do about this disease? What do I do about that disease? Right? Yes, yes, I've just explained to them how to, how to get rid of all disease. Yes. And they're coming up and asking me how to get rid of a specific disease yes. because there's this, this illusion that's been created by our social structure that this disease, quote unquote, is some entity that has attacked me, right? Mm. Whatever. Mm. And so what I like to try to explain to people is 
darkness is not something. Darkness is the absence of something. So you don't cure darkness. You bring in a light. Yes. And disease is not something. It's the absence of something. Disease is the absence of health and vitality. Mm. You cure disease by restoring health and vitality. Yes. I call it tr treatment by prevention. You do the things you should have done to stay healthy in the first place. <laughs> okay? Right. And I, I don't do those things perfectly. I, I guarantee. I, I sometimes get off and, you know, and, and uh, you're out with a bunch of people and like, oh, come on, you can have some of this sweet dessert and everything and start eating a little bit. And then pretty soon I want to eat more and I have to, okay, stop, stop, stop. You know, and, and there are things that I don't do, but I still look at myself you know, being 65 in one month, and I look at other people who are my age, and they look so much older than me. And they're on all these pharmaceutical drugs, and they're like struggling with all these health problems. And I at least maybe have a few things that I need to work on. I still, I could, I could lose a few pounds and so forth. But by and large, I, uh, ha I have pretty good energy. I, I sleep well. I, you know, I, I, like, I like myself. I enjoy my life. And so I think I'm living proof that what I teach works, right? right? And people who I see who do the approach that I do have the same thing. I, I know people who are 75, 85 and are still doing this and they're still seeing clients every day and they're still in this business and they have more vitality than some 20 year olds, right? <laughs> yes, I agree. Now, if you succumbed to the temptations of dessert, that suggests that you're in a bit of self-denial for the for the purpose of being healthy is it difficult to have a lifestyle that well you know I, when i once i got away from eating sugar i didn't crave it anymore okay because it's very addictive sure. um but you know it's very hard i find that the social aspect of this is the hardest part and so i try not to be so dogmatic about things yes as to be totally antisocial. yes but you know it, because there is a social aspect of health. You want to have friends, right? Oh, yeah, so, <laughs> be nice. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I always tell people it's not what you do once in a while. It's what you do every day, right? Yes, yes, right. You, just, you try, try to, you know, live a basic healthy life. And you don't do it because you're into self-punishment and self-denial. You do it because you like feeling good, right? Yes. The whole goal of it is to feel good. And if you feel good, you're on the right track. Yes. And if you feel good, you don't want to do things that make yourself feel bad. True. Right? True. Well, some, most people, but a lot of people feel good by smoking and that, make, that makes their health. Well, what I, what I find happens in addiction, true, truthfully, I, I, uh, and this again is part of the emotional healing work, yes. is addiction isn't so much seeking pleasure mm. as it's trying to numb pain. Okay. The reason why we get addicted to sugar or why we get addicted to alcohol or why you get addicted to drugs or whatever is not because it's actually pleasurable to do because it isn't. I guarantee if you get off of sugar and refined carbohydrates and you eat you know, a lot of just fresh fruits and vegetables and good you know, healthy food and, and you take good care of yourself, you have great energy, your mind is clear, you feel fantastic, right? Yes. But, and, you, and you eat a little of that stuff and you feel the negative effect of it once you get away from it. Mm -hmm. 
But the reason why you do that, if you think about when are you most likely to pig out on junk food, it's not when you're on top of the world. It's when something bad has happened and, you're, and you want to go pig out to, to, to numb your emotional emotions, right? Before you go any further, would you classify chocolate as junk food? No, I wouldn't classify chocolate. Okay, let, me, let me continue then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I, think, I think actually some chocolate, you know, uh, and I don't actually think that all sugar is bad. I, 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 I use sucanat and I use honey, and I think it's nice to have something sweet. Yeah. I'm talking about chemical refined sugar, you know, bleached processed sugar, bleached processed flour, yeah. which basically has become pretty much a lifeless chemical and it's highly addictive. Yeah. I, I think it's nice to have sweet treats, you know, and stuff. I, I like to make cookies with, you know, natural ingredients. Yes. Uh, I have recipes for that on one of my websites, you know, for ice cream made with honey and organic cream and milk, you know, that's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that uh, uh, people are in pain and they're numbing themselves to their pain. That's what they're really doing and, and, and trying to escape from it. And they temporarily escape from it by doing that. But then afterwards, there's a letdown. You know? and, they, and the pain comes back and it's still there and it's still worse. And so it, we have to learn to confront our pain and figure out what's causing it and deal with it. Again, it's about getting back to the root cause. What is the root cause? What is really driving this problem? And that takes a little bit of like Sherlock Holmes detective work. You've got to figure out who done it. Not just that, but I guess it will also take more time because it does. To put out a furnace takes out a lot of. It does take a lot of time to let the embers die down slowly. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to talk about mental, uh, emotional healing. We have been talking about it up, up to now in smidgens, but we'll, we'll, go, we'll go diving straight in you know, right now. Um, what is emotional healing? How would you define emotional healing? Well, what, the reason why I call it emotional healing, uh, I could call it spiritual healing, I could call it mental I, It has to do with um, something I discovered a long time ago that we develop within us certain dysfunctional belief systems that cause us to perceive that what is good for us is bad and what is bad for us is good. All right. And those internal belief systems are causing us to live in a state of denial. So here we are repeatedly doing a behavior that's actually causing us physical and mental and emotional distress. But we do it because we believe that it's the right thing to do. And we're avoiding doing what would actually make us healthy, what would actually make us emotionally bring peace to us and so forth. And I call those false belief systems, those illusions that, that have been planted in our subconscious, dragons. And the reason why I call it emotional healing is because what you're trying to do is get a person to get in touch with their feelings and truly acknowledge that they are in pain. That they're afraid, that they're angry, that they've got this internal emotional conflict and really own it, take a look at it. And in that process, the dragon, if you will, reveals itself. Well, what, that, that, 
and I, and I could I, I could give you some stories that probably illustrate this better than trying to explain it philosophically, but um, well, go ahead and ask a question. Well, what what why what would have started this illusion, this internal belief? Well, I, the story I tell because it's 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 a story I heard years ago that helped me kind of get this is is uh, some. Uh, and this was another practitioner who told the story of a young uh, woman in her early 20s who was overweight, was trying to lose weight. And every time she would go on a diet, you know, she'd get to a certain point, she'd start to lose weight. And then she'd suddenly get the urge to binge and she'd gain the weight back and even more. Mm -hmm. Right. So the practitioner in trying to figure out what was going on with her uh, started asking her about when she started getting overweight and everything. It turned out she started gaining weight at uh, about six and at five, she had an un uncle, I think it was, who had tried to sexually molest her. Gosh. And uh, fortunately, he'd been caught as he was making the attempt. But everybody had been very upset. She'd been very upset. Uh, so there's all this like emotional stress, right, going on around her. And in the middle of that, her mom blurted out, it's a shame she's not fat because fat girls don't get molested. And that's the dragon. Understand? Wow. That idea goes into the subconscious mind and says, I have to be fat to be safe. Gosh. And as soon as that belief system goes into the subconscious mind, the subconscious mind starts operating to create safety. Yes. So, so that, that illusion is, is that this is making me safe, right? Mm. But it's an illusion because it's not making her happy or safe, right? Mm. It's not, it's not true. Sure. So one of the tools, and this is the, this is the, the single most, I mean, there's a lot of tools I learned to use to help uncover this, but the one that is the single most powerful tool is what I call the question affirmation. I actually learned it, that technique from a chiropractor on the south coast of Australia who taught this to me. Um, if, if this woman says, I am thin and beautiful, it triggers the dragon. As soon as she starts to think that I am skinny, I'm beautiful, I look good, the dragon kicks in and says, I'm in danger of being molested. We have to fix this problem, right? So you ask it as a question, what would it feel like to be thin and beautiful? Mm -hmm. As you ask that question and you have the person breathe and you have the person kind of meditate and tune into that, the, emo the negative emotions come up, the fear, the whatever, you get them to breathe with those motions, feel them, and the dragon reveals itself. If, if, I, if I was thin and beautiful, I would be sexually molested. Got it? Okay. Then you change the question. What would it feel like to be thin and beautiful and be completely safe? Now, the subconscious mind has never considered that question, right? Right, right. And as they do that, their subconscious mind processes through the dragon and it'll suddenly go, boom, the light bulb comes on. And they see, oh, like I did this one, literally I, ha I had a lady who had this problem, exact, the exact thing, okay? She was afraid of being sexually molested. Yes. And she suddenly just this, her face just lit up. And she goes, I choose the kind of men I associate with. Okay. Hmm. And then I could get her to say, I'm thin and beautiful and safe. 
and she could test that positively as an affirmation. In other words, we create a new internal belief system that replaces the old belief system that guides it. We do that through the feelings. That's why I call it emotional healing, through clarifying the emotions, getting in touch with the emotions. And as soon as the person sees the answer, sees through the dragon and sees clarity, they come to a state of peace and so forth. We do this with forgiveness. Like, what would it feel like to forgive XYZ person who's you know, done something to me completely? Okay, once they go through, you know, I can't forgive them, I'm angry. Well, get in touch with the anger, breathe with the anger, feel the anger. Do you like feeling angry? No, I don't like feeling this way. Well, what would it feel like if you forgave? And once they go, oh, that would feel so good. I say, well, do you want to feel good? They go, yeah, then forgive them. I forgive so-and-so completely. I forgive so-and-so completely. I forgive so-and-so completely. Yeah, okay. New belief system. You see, we all instinctively in the center of our being want to feel good, right? Mm -hmm. And when we're doing the right things for ourselves, physically, mentally, and emotionally, the, the reward is we feel good. When we're not doing the right things, we experience suffering. Yes. We're angry, we're hurt, we're afraid, we're in pain, we're physically, emotionally. And it's all about getting the clarity so that we can see clearly what is going to lead us to inner peace, what's going to lead us to love, what's going to lead us to all those positive feelings that is the truth, mm. rather than continue to suffer and go down this other path that's creating this suffering, believing it's the only way, only thing we can do. And we, we acquire these things in, from our parents, from people around us, from school, from religion, from all kinds of different sources, right? Mm. That feed these ideas into ourselves that don't work. They don't work, right? Absolutely. But we continue to believe that, that, that they have to work because they're supposed to work and they're not working. And so that's why I love that definition of insanity, you know? It's doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result is it right is it worse now that we've got the internet so we've got all these idealism pushed onto us in mass well yeah i well i also think that it, it's worse because people tend to get locked into uh echo chambers on the internet yes. because you know the algorithms are designed to basically feed you what you like to look at and yes. then you you continue to reinforce your current belief paradigms by watching other people who agree with your paradigms and you don't ever explore other ideas. And what frightens me the most in society is the idea of censorship, of censoring ideas because they're quote unquote dangerous or might offend someone or whatever, because we have to be exposed to other ideas to challenge our current belief system. Otherwise we're stuck, you know? That's, that's the whole uh, thing that needs to happen is, you, is if, if what you're doing isn't working, you got to figure out why it's not working and what you could do that would work. So like I was having really difficult problems in relationships with women. Right. And I had to do a lot of emotional healing, a lot of work. I, I, I was married and got divorced four times. Mm-hmm. And I had to go figure out that I did not understand men and women. I didn't understand relationships. And I had to do emotional healing with stuff related to my mom. Now, 
got this picture on my shoulder. I got a <laughs> wonderful wife, okay, who I really love and, and we have a great relationship. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't because I found a wonderful wife. It was because I changed. Understand? Yeah. I changed. Yeah. I didn't change the world. The I changed and the world changed. Mm. And that's how it works. The, the, the idea of the law of the harvest, what you're sowing, you're reaping, mm. is a fundamental belief of mine. So if you don't like what you're reaping, you have to change what you're sowing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a no-brainer, isn't it? It <laughs> is, but but it's hard to get people to understand this. Yeah, yeah. Because one of the things the internet does is addict us to the quick fix, right? Yes, yes, right. That's Advertising right. addicts us. At, uh, you know, quick fix. Not feeling good? Go buy something. And the fact that every time you search for something, the records of what you search for is logged, and only things that are appropriate to your what they think are your interests. Are presented to you so you don't expand out and you keep narrow do you think that emotional healing and the lack of emotional healing can be the root cause of mental illness oh absolutely in fact let's get into the idea of trauma and peter levine's idea of the trauma vortex because i was doing stuff that that i intuitively learned from my own inner spiritual guidance which was to let people cry break down and cry or let them express their anger and let their body, you know, okay, whatever. And I, I knew it was the right thing to do, even though it's like, you know, all of the counseling is, you know, try to be quiet and stay up in your head and blah, blah, blah. I knew people had to get in touch with their raw feelings and let their body express it somehow. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I found out about the trauma vortex. You know, when something scares you, traumatizes you, yes. you have, three possible reactions fight it off anger right yeah. flee right run away yeah. uh, or freeze okay and terror the, the 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 real scary stuff makes us freeze yes okay and when you freeze you're frozen in a highly agitated state Yes. And what Peter Levine says is that wild animals, when they uh, you know, encounter a predator and they freeze, right? Uh, if, if the predator leaves them alone and they are able to jump up and get away, they will sit there and tremble. Okay? And the trembling, the spontaneous trembling, uh, uh, is a discharge of all that energy, all that stress. So you think of like, you're driving down the road and somebody pulls in front of you and you almost get into an accident or whatever. Maybe you do get into an accident. Maybe it's even your fault you get into an accident. Yeah. You pull over and you're right. Okay. Okay. You might, you might yell, you might scream, you might cry, you might do whatever. That's part of the recovery from trauma. So when you're a little kid and something scares you and things that scare little kids are a lot smaller than what scares us as adults. Yes. And you start to cry or you start to be angry or you start to express this emotion. And your parent says, stop that, stop that, stop that. Okay. So like the example is the little kid gets lost in the, in the shopping mall. And when they finally uh, is reunited with the mom, he starts to cry. Yes. Okay. And now if mom says, don't cry, stop. 
or shows this kind of anger or disapproval or, or shame or whatever, and the child feels that it's not okay for them to cry, then they don't process through the trauma. And then the next time the child is left alone, the brain sees, oh, similar situation. Mom's leaving with the babysitter. I'm going to be by myself. I break down and start to cry. Mom says, stop, blah, blah, blah. That creates what's called a trauma vortex. So I develop a fear of abandonment because of the unresolved emotional trauma of feeling abandoned and never being allowed to cry about it or express my pain and have an empathetic ear understand, yeah, that was, that was hard on you, I understand, blah, 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 it's okay. I mean, I remember doing this with people like someone who's, who was feeling really anxious. And I said, feel your anxiety, breathe into your anxiety, feel it. And they did, and they started to tremble, and they did all this emotional responses, just stay with it, just let it happen, blah, blah, blah. They cried a little bit, but then they... Sh- I said, I feel, I feel so much calmer. They looked at me and said, you knew that would happen, didn't you? I said, no. <laughs> okay, because, because when do we ever have someone who has enough adulthood, right? Who is, who is a, enough of an adult and enough cleared of their own issues to basically allow us to talk about what's hurting us and bothering us and show emotion about it, right? We, we recognize that most people are very uncomfortable with people showing emotion because they're uncomfortable with their own emotions. So in the process of emotional healing, I'm uncomfortable, I'm comfortable with all my emotions, so nobody else's emotions bother me, right? Other people's anger doesn't bother me. Other people's sadness doesn't bother me. I just kind of feel empathetic, understanding. I understand that's trauma and pain and whether it's expressing itself, and I don't have a problem with that. And that's you know, a big part of emotional healing is just compassion just being able to be compassionate. But mentally ill people are, have so many trauma vortexes and they're connected to so many things in their life that they're constantly being triggered into this crazy irrational state that you're in when you're traumatized. I understand. And, and they're, they're desperately trying to express that and you put them in a straitjacket and you give them drugs. Which and, is and, and, new, isn't it? Because it's possibly going to make the vortex even deeper. It is. It's actually reinforcing the trauma vortex. Yes. yes. And and I I it, and and we're we're not dealing with what really is bother, bothering these people. Yes. And they're and they're and they're talking crazy talk because okay there there are are two two things that that you can tell when you've been triggered into one of your trauma vortexes, and I guarantee everybody has either has done this and watched other people around them go into this. One is you start talking in superlatives. This always happens. This never happens. Everybody does this. You know, like I can tell when my wife gets triggered into a, a, a trauma vortex, she says, nobody ever helps me. I, I, I was just helping her, you know, for the last hour. But suddenly one of her kids does, and nobody ever helps me. You see, that's, that's the talk of a trauma vortex, Understood. right? And, and the other thing is that you suddenly become emotionally irrational. You can't reason with it. You can't reason with a trauma vortex. Okay. You can't say, well, I was just helping you. Nobody ever helps me. Okay, you understand? Yes. So you have to just... Yeah, honey, I blah, blah, blah. Okay. 
kind of go ahead. <laughs> and that's hard to that's hard to do, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's what needs to happen. And and I bet there are times you, you couldn't think of when somebody said something to you and all of a sudden it was like you just feel this surge of emotion and you're like in that like this always happens or this never happens or blah 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 blah. It's always that's that's your trauma talking. Not so not so much now. Probably John of maybe. 10 or 15 years ago. Right. I mean, you've probably done a lot of work on yourself too. So it doesn't happen to you like it used to, <laughs> but, but we all, but I get every all the garbage, <laughs> but, I, but I, but I, yeah, when we take out our own garbage, it, 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 we, we lose all of our triggers. We lose all of our buttons. Nobody can push our buttons anymore because we don't have any buttons to push. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Hey, if, if someone's gone from the progress from emotional vortices to mental illness, um, can they go back? Can they yeah. return? How? What steps? I think they can. Now, now, I, I, I've, I've helped people. You know, my my mother was mildly schizophrenic. Okay, I actually did help my mom. My mom actually made a big turnaround. I did get her on a healthier diet. Uh, I mean, part of this is that you'd have to have the right nutrition for the brain, right? Mm-hmm. You got uh, uh, refined carbohydrates are horrible for, for the brain. Uh, you've got to get the minerals and vitamins and things, the, the fatty acids the brain needs to function properly. That's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to you know, help the person work through that. The hard part with mentally ill people is that you, I, I've, I've had people who have, I've had some people come stay with me who were labeled mentally ill. And while they were with me, I got them stabilized, normal, functioning pretty, help, pretty well, right? And then you send them back home to their family. Um, the triggers and the, and the environment. And the environment triggers them back in again, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same thing with, you know, they're, while they're with me, they're eating healthy, right? when they're back in the other environment. So I've wished, I've many times wished that we had mental hospitals, right? Where we pull people in, we'd feed them a really healthy diet, we'd get them out walking in nature, and we'd do this kind of emotional de-traumatizing therapy with them and help them get to the point they become strong enough that they can go back out. You know, but, I, but the, the person that I, uh, I'm talking about, one person in particular, I had to get her away from her family. Yes, yes. Get her out on her own. She's out on her own and not, didn't have all the family triggers. You know, she was much better on her own than she was when she was having to deal with the, with the family and the family dynamics. So yeah, it, it, I believe it's possible. It's just hard. And I wish we had the systems in place to really help these people. That, that's one of my dreams is someday there will be those kind of places where we can get mentally ill people where we're not like just trying to drug them and lock them up but we're actually trying to help de-traumatize them because i will i will tell you that my experience people who are mentally ill are typically severely abused as children or severely traumatized Gosh. at young age emotional you know? the power of the emotion again right Right, we've come to the end of the sermon. I know it's beginning pretty late on your side of town. If, yeah. I, if you were to be given one more sentence, which you have been, by the way, um, 
and on a positive note, which we try and end this sandwich with, what, what would you say? I like to tell people there are no incurable diseases. There are only incurable people. Wow. Incurable people are the people who don't want to do what they need to do to get well. Does it come any more positive than that? Okay. So positive thing is there, is no, there are no incurable diseases. I understand. I understand. <laughs> Yeah, I know that little, little bit you added to the end wasn't quite so. Yes, but, that wasn't so positive. Yeah, no, but, but no, I, I, there is always hope. Don't ever, ever let anybody tell you that, that you can't be cured. Yes. Believe, believe that you can find answers. Be willing to go out and search and do what you need to do. Don't ever let someone give you the uh, you know, voodoo hex and tell you that you're incurable. I don't believe it. There's always answers. You just have to search for them. If someone's got a mental illness, do you think they can drag themselves out? Do they absolutely need outside help? I think they probably need outside help, but I think they also could get divine help. Okay. Beautiful. Yep. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed today's sermon. It's been fantastic. Stephen Horn, thank you for coming on to our show, teaching You're us welcome. interesting things. And you say positive too. Have you, have you always been this positive in, in life? Yeah, one of my ex-wives accused me of having a Pollyanna attitude. I broke my leg and I'm glad, glad, glad. For people that don't know who Pollyanna is, she's a very irritating um, character from a film. Always happy. Everything will make a person into a song. You, t- you know. It, it. Yeah. Great movie, by the way. <laughs> There we have it, Pollyanne, uh, in, the, in, the, in the form of Stephen Horn. Thank you so much for coming on to our show. Have a fantastic evening. What's that? Have a fantastic evening. And thank you I so will. Much. Thank you very much. Let's head home to my wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, you take care. Bye-bye. I will. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.